Hachi. Everyone in football knows him. And like many of the big names in the media, he polarises opinion. Whatever your view might be, his rapid climb up the corporate ladder is a fact of life. Craig Hutchison, corporate heavyweight. He would have standard fanciful five years ago, wouldn't it? Uh, probably, but I don't feel like I'm doing anything different to what I was five years ago or ten years ago. We probably just flew a bit under the radar at those times and we're just a bit bigger and a bit more comes with that, but it doesn't feel much different to me. I've always tried to find my own way in life and business is kind of where I've landed over the last decade. Did you have a net worth of $50 million five years ago? <laughs> no, and I don't now. Is, but that figure, is that figure not right? Well, where have you researched? I thought you said you were well-researched today. No, I didn't say that. I said I'd done some research. <laughs> <laughs> not even remotely close. Craig, have a look at this. This is you, I think, in your Channel 10 days, correct? I've aged well, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> what age were you then? I was 20, 21, probably. Yeah. 21, I yeah. think. Did you, you, you liked television, didn't you? You liked television more than the print, didn't you? I did, but I like radio more than both of them. Do you really? Yeah. yeah. It's more suited to me, I think, as a, an on-air guy. Not that I am anymore, but more suited to my persona, I think. I knew you, firstly. You were a shy kid. I think you were shy. Kid from Warrigal. Had a cadetship at the Herald Sun. Yep. I'd only been there 12 months and you came on staff. Uh, I asked this with some trepidation. Did I look after you? No, not particularly. But that was more my doing than yours. I was... Uh, green as grass, came down from Warrigal in country Victoria, landed on the door of the Herald Sun, my dream job, I'd been a reader from the age of six and Friday mornings were about getting the paper and seeing the teams and loved all the great names and bylines of my childhood, you know, Tony DeBolfo and Scott Palmer and Peter Samanovich and all those, you know, all those great names, Linda Pierce at the time I think for a while. So I loved, and all, my dream was to work at the Sun or the Herald Sun newspaper. And so when I got there, I was green as grass, didn't understand big business or big places, had never had a job before, was fresh out of school and was overzealous and went pretty hard. And what does overzealous mean? I just was crash or crash through, looking back like I was on in a real hurry to become a, a, a mainstream journalist and to break sports stories and I smile a lot when I see some of the young crop come through <laughs> now who have got similar zest and ambition and I just had no self-awareness at all. I was just determined to get the story on the back page the next day and for some people I think editors in particular I had a couple of advocates who were terrific to me and encouraged that but there are in any business a lot of people who've been around a long time who feel and particularly in those days you had to really do your time you know mm -hmm. cadetship would take three years the fact that I was in a real hurry probably didn't suit everyone and looking back I can see that that was a fair and reasonable view of the business including probably yourself at the time. Yeah I can't actually remember but I, I knew you because you were a young man in a hurry at the time Gee, you've packed a bit into 25 years. You worked at the Herald Sun, then you turned to TV and have worked for channels 10, 9 and, nine 7. and 7. Yep. Yeah. Now radio with SEN. Yep. And you're the boss and the CEO of, uh, of SEN. Uh, it's, you haven't um, wasted your time, have you? Well, I've had a lot of things go wrong. Been sacked a couple of times, yeah. been suspended. I like your line. You've been sacked, sued and suspended. Yeah. They're yeah. the big three, aren't they? Not much yeah. more. Yeah. And unfortunately, they're starting to become plural. Been sacked a couple of times. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, never ideal. But you learn more in those situations than you do if you don't go through them. And I think I just always loved the Herald Sun newspaper because those formative years and editors like Phil Gardner and influencers like Tim Cleary, who I met there and still work with to this day, I just learnt so much from the way that paper rolls each day and I think the great thing about journalism is you go home at night winning or losing every day mm -hmm. and it's a very great thing in business because in, in business I find 
not everyone has the same sense of urgency. But in newspapers, that's just how you're taught. You, at the end of the day, you've either had a good day and someone says, well done, or you've had a really bad day and you get your backside kicked the next morning by the sports editor. But it does exact a heavy toll, doesn't it? Particularly, with, you were a news, you were a news getter, a reporter. Yeah. And, I mean, it's different to writing opinion stuff because that, that can come any day of the week and it just stands up and survives for a month. But if you're writing news and you miss it, you're in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, and I, I let it define me, you know. Like, it, I used to think my whole life was whether I had, broke a story that day or not. And you get so self-obsessed with that. And I did that pretty hard pretty quickly for maybe 10, 12 years and I just clearly burnt out at the end of that. I was so um, lacking any broader focus other than what today's news story was and that, that's not healthy. Some of your critics would say that you were unscrupulous. Is that unfair? Define that for me. Well, I mean, I, I think talking about that you were prepared to sort of pay for uh, people to look out for you and ring you with news tips... Um, yeah, that never happened. It never happened? No. There was a famous story about you paying a cafe proprietor uh, to keep his <laughs> eyes open and ring you if he saw anything of interest and he allegedly rang you about Dennis Pagan catching up with John Elliott. Not true? No, that's not true. No. Not true. But I did build networks of people around the place and talk to them as often as I could. Like I was... I think my only thing I had as a journalist was hard work. Mm -hmm. And so my view was I didn't know as many people or as, wasn't as well-connected, but maybe if I made twice as many calls as everybody else, then I'd be a chance. And so that was how I applied my craft. And I, th I do think that you'd get taught some great skills in the Herald Sun system about the types of people that can find information for you. So I mean, that was a brief period of my life, Mike. That doesn't refresh your memory? Seeing Dennis in a Carlton uh, top? Yeah, I think we had the story on the Channel 7 News that Dennis Pagan was in a meeting with John Elliott mm -hmm. in a city office. I did get tipped off that the meeting was on and got a camera there and we did get the story off the top of the 6 o'clock news and, and broke that story. But I think I've been building relationships for a long time around that to make it happen. Did you pay people? Did you retain people to give you news tips? Not in the Channel 7 days, no. No, and never, never. But I think, you know, and certainly at times at the footy show, if there was a commercial deal around the story. I, was, you know, I wasn't ignorant that that was going on or part of it. And I, and I actually don't have any problem with that. No, no. But uh, in, the, no, in a newsroom, in a, in a Channel 7 9 or 10 newsroom, or in the newspapers, I don't think I've ever spent my, one dollar of mine or someone else's to procure a story. How, how hurt were you by your stuff up with Justin Kosicki? Yeah. yeah and, and the background was that you named Kosicki as, one of, as a St Kilda player. Yeah who had been implicated in an alleged rape. Yeah. I mean, it was my lowest day in journalism. There's no, no escaping that. And it's one of those things you can never take back. Never take back. And ultimately, I got to know Justin in post-retirement and did some, done some work together and have great respect. And the way he was able to move on from that was extraordinary and a better man than, than me or most. But, yeah, like, to, to incorrectly name one of the two players in a sexual misconduct investigation uh, was a horrific error. You know, one that probably would have been sackable, I think. Mm. I certainly would, would have, was expecting that I wouldn't have a job the next day and offered as much. Um, Did you? Did you, you, you offered to Yeah, I, I said to Ian Johnson, the managing director at the time, that, you know, if he thought that it would be best for me to go, it'd be, you know, it would be a reasonable decision. And he, and he to his eternal credit, backed me in. But it was a... Yeah, I mean, it's uncomfortable talking about it. You know, I had taken a call the night before that this was happening. Uh, it was at a very particularly sensitive time. Uh, 
and it was a shocking allegation, and one that went for 10 years, really, mm. the allegation. Probably still resonates to this day. And a lot of lives were affected through that. I'd been given those two names. Um, the debate, I guess, was... And then the next morning I went and saw someone who confirmed to me uh, that they were the names. Uh, I didn't, however, do make enough calls on it. There was a, um, a want and wish to get to air mm. and be the first to tell the story. Um, that clearly was a bad decision. I was probably experienced enough to not name either of the players in the story that I broke into news to do. And the debate always is, are you implicating everyone if you don't name someone? Yes. Yeah. Or did I need to tell someone, name someone in the first place if I was 98 or 99% sure? Uh, my great friend Liam managed Justin and he had denied it to me moments before I went on air. And Piggis denied it to you and you still went with it. Yeah. But he, he's so... Liam's... So Liam and I have a great friendship and Liam has never told me a thing about a player he managed ever. And... I would think he's so defensive of his players that he would, if he felt the need, he would mislead me about that. So I didn't trust his denial like I should have and I wouldn't have begrudged the denial in the first place. Um, so, yes, I, I think it was an error and a bad one, a really bad one and an embarrassing one and one that you can't take back. Did you, did you jump on a plane with Ben Cousins and yep. follow him to America? Yep. How did that come about? Was that your own initiative or was it the stations? No, it was mine. I was new at Channel 9. I had got wind of the fact that Ben was going to go overseas with his dad and I thought, I'll absolutely go and cover the story. I booked myself on a plane. Uh, it happened to be the same plane that he was on. and Coincidentally? Yeah, well, ostensibly. I had a fair reasoning that that would be the flight because there's only one a day and I took my chances. And he was on the plane and, yeah, I wore quite a bit of flack for that, uh, post that. There were media at the front and end of that flight, but I was on the flight, so I kind of wore the can of it. And I think, looking back, I approached his dad and said, look, I'm here, I'm coming over to cover the story, I don't want to you know, get in your way. This is my seat number somewhere on the plane on the way over, can you come past and let's have a chat about what's fair and reasonable or whether I can talk to Ben when we land. He came past my seat about five hours from Los Angeles, Brian Cousins, and said, thanks for the way you know, you've approached okay. it. Yep. Um, Ben's not going to talk when we land. He's a little fragile. I'm sure you'll get some pictures through the airport like I'd expect anyone to. Uh, but our welfare guy is happy to do an interview with you. Uh, Sarge, which was Ian Miller, down at mm -hmm. Venice Beach later on this afternoon. So how does that feel like a reasonable trade-off? And I said, no problem. I got the shots of Ben walking through the airport. There were 15, 20 journalists there waiting for him to come through. And so, yeah, I think, in hindsight, I'd, as a journalist, it's your job to go and cover the stories that happen. They're not always pleasant ones. Could you argue that he's entitled to go overseas and not be covered? Well, probably. But I think at that point, we're all trying to make sense of what the struggle was. Like, the struggle, yep. in hindsight, is really clear. Yep. But at that time, it was just such a shocking thing, wasn't it? It was such yep. an unexpected... In the West Coast 2007 era, which coincided when I moved to the footy show, was such an unexpected thing. We were all trying to get our head around the possibility that this drug use was so rife in a club. Like, it had been foreign to all of us in and out of football at that time. And so, yeah, I think 
at the time, I'd probably have done the same thing again. But I, I kind of wore the can for it a little bit. But it would happen a matter of factly these days, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I think in public life, if you sign up for public life, you take what comes with it. And I'm not without sympathy for Ben. I think we all live and pray every day that he can find a way through what he's going through. And I desperately feel for his dad. Mm. But I think it would and be naive. Yeah. I think it would yeah. be naive of people to think that football wouldn't cover that story. And you could argue that football turned a blind eye to Ben's woes for a fair while before they became mainstream news. That was about the time you were burnt out, wasn't it? You were cooked. Yeah, I think a year, probably a year before that, end of 2005 or six, I'd run my race. I just needed to get overseas and down tools and reset and think about what I was going to do. I didn't feel like I had much more left to give. And so I kind of resigned from everything and went mm. to New York and just tried to figure out a different life for myself. Started the business around that time while I was away. Had that never, was the croc media business? Yep. yep. Had never really thought that I would get into business, but I wanted to do something different other than journalism and then kind of got coaxed back into journalism by the lure of the footy show and had a three or four year run there doing it. But you know, I, I realistically knew that the best of me was probably passed as a journalist. The footy show ended badly for you. You took over as host for 2017 from Jimmy Brayshaw. Yep. <clears throat> Didn't last the season. I must say, and I mean this, I, I think that you handled it as well as anyone possibly could. You didn't... There was no uh, whining and whinging and blaming anyone else. Uh, did it hurt? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, we've all got egos. And it's, you know, 27, 8, 30-year legacy, you know, transformative television show that we all grew up watching and enjoying and unbelievably humbling to be on it as a reporter, first of all, from 2007 through 910, and then to get a chance to host it. Like, that's boys' own stuff. Mm -hmm. So to fail at it... Did you fail? Yeah, oh, unquestionably, yeah. Well, so there's a, the broader view is that the footy show is, was in trouble and that you sort of took a spot on the Titanic, as it were. Well, it was buyer beware. So if you sign up for something, you have to have enough faith and confidence in yourself that you can do a good enough job to carry the expectations of people that hire you to do it. And I didn't ultimately meet those expectations. So I can't sit around and um, blame anyone else for that. Ultimately, if I'd been any good at it, I'd still be doing it. How heavy were you when the footy show people came to you and said they wanted you to do the job if you could present in a slightly healthier fashion. Yeah, I think I was heavier than would be reasonably expected to host <laughs> a free-to-air television show. But in fairness, in early December was the last thing that I had on my mind that I would be doing. And so, and I just don't find it naturally easy to lose weight. In retrospect, what did you think you lacked in that role? Uh, I think probably my style's a bit more observational and casual. I'm not naturally charismatic or a natural showman. And I think that show really needs a, a dynamic, charismatic presence. And clearly James, Gary and Eddie uh, all have that, don't they, in their psyche. Yeah. And I probably haven't spent my life wanting to be a free-to-air primetime television host. It's been a little bit accidental for me. So, you know, I, I probably just didn't have the gravitas to pull it off. Because that was a variety show, because you're, now, you're still hosting Footy Classified. Yeah. I'm interested in your role on Footy Classified. <laughs> it seems that you're deliberately the, the, the Asian provocateur there. You set yourself as the one. You don't care about what the panel or what the public think about some of the things you say. Yeah, historically that's been my role and I don't really know why else I would be on it if that weren't my role. It's probably changing a little bit as I'm hosting it on I, my own. I think you undersell yourself on that. I watched it recently and you allowed your panel members 
to, to talk about your pre-season ladder, which had West Coast and North Melbourne in the bottom two positions on the ladder. I think we're at risk anyway. We get enough muck thrown at us without exactly inviting our colleagues to... Uh, uh, to throw some more. But that's true. I did tip Essendon to win yeah. the but flag. you need to remind people when you've perhaps been well, off the mark. See, I, I just really... like. I will say what I like about you and you can say what you like about me and let's not hold it against each other. That's my philosophy on media, is be as open, as free as you can. So you, you would say that agent provocateur, I'm naturally opinionated. I've got yes. an opinion on everything and that's can, I'm sure, drive people mad at times. But that's... Television, in my mind, is about... And media is about giving as much of that as you can. And so I, I, I encourage... If someone has something to say about me, I'd rather hear it on television than hear it in the production meeting. It's, just good, it's good television. You shouldn't take it personally. Now, your role at SEN... Yep. ...been much publicised. You're now CEO of the parent company, correct? Yep. Making... Nine hundred and forty-four grand a year. Well, not quite that much, but what nine forty-three? <laughs> no, it's well. That, that were my papers tabled. Yeah, no, my that my earnings capacity are that based upon performance, and that's publicly listed, and that is inclusive of what I earn on and off air on all of my roles. Uh-huh. So that's not. I haven't got two. So it's off the bench is included in there. Yeah, everything. And yeah. your role as a businessman. Yeah. And it's you know it's no different to what I was earning the day before I began and took over the network. It's the same, it's the same amount, it's just made public. You've made some big decisions in the chair. Three of them I want to talk to you about. Yep. The rem- dumping David Schwartz and Mark Allen yep. and Mark Robinson. Yep. Now, Schwartz and you were great mates uh, and I think you got, had, at one point had a good, healthy relationship with Robbo and I suspect you got on well with Mark Allen. Yep. Why did you not tell them that they were uh, to be discarded? The circumstances of all three were different and individual, but I can talk to them all if it, if it suits. With David and Mark, they had expiring deals under the previous regime. We were legally restricted and didn't, in fact, take hold of the business as a management team officially in the public markets until April the 1st. We had an ability to influence decisions beforehand, which is rare, I'm told, in public company mergers or such situations and so before Christmas at least and probably not till early mid-January I just wasn't allowed to talk to talent directly who were otherwise employees of Pacific Star Network so wasn't allowed by whom I wasn't allowed to sit there and negotiate their deals or to or to recast them but you were allowed to make the decisions but I was allowed to influence and make in essence make the decisions yeah so I just wanted to go in a different way and the business the 116 SEN platform has been fantastic for a long period of time. People love it. Everyone's got a strong opinion on it. I think it's got a really unique and rich part of Melbourne's sporting culture. And I love all the great things that the management have done before we came along. But as as happens in life, when you get an opportunity to do something differently, you want to put your own stamp on it. I have great respect for Mark and and David, and I wish them every bit of luck in their new... You say that, and you're good with the platitudes, but you say you have great respect for David and Mark. Yep. You live with David. You punted with David. He was a very close friend of yours. I never lived with him, but we were mates. We did, kicked did around. Did you not spend some time under his roof? No, but we kicked around quite a bit in our young 20s and got along well and lost contact over the years. But there's nothing personal about it. But, but when, wasn't he entitled to hear from you 
particularly when they were led to believe, yep. Schwartz and Allen were led to believe, that there was a two-year contract on the table. Yeah, well, David, he didn't work for me. It's not like I asked David to stop doing something he'd ever done no, no, but you, for us before. No, no, but you yep. drove the decision... I to, did. ..to remove him from the, from the afternoon But because show. of the circumstances of his dealings with management at the time and the fact that it was pre-Christmas, the legality stated that they had to deal with that with the current management at the time. So if I would have had, had no problem if it had been two months later looking him in the eye and telling him that we're going in a different direction. And it's happened to me. I've been on the end of it before. I understand why people take it personally, but it's, it's really... It's never personal. Are they suing you for a million bucks? There was, a, yeah, an early suggestion that they were. I'm not mm. sure whether that will continue or not. The, the, the Robinson one intrigues me yep. too. He's a high-profile... He, he's got the, the highest-profile job yep. in sport in Victoria. Yeah. And I mean, he, like you, can polarise opinion. Yeah. But he's a big name uh, and he's aggressive. Was it personal in, in Robbo's case that you removed him? No, not one bit. But you and he don't get on, do you? No, I'm, I'm fine. Are I, you? Yeah. You bag him on Saturday mornings. No, you see, there's a perception around this. He and Liam, who I work with... Liam Pickering? ...don't get along. And yeah. that's clear. And so Liam can poke the bear a little bit and make fun at Robbo's expense from time to time. And I don't really think it's my role to get in the middle of that. But I respect him and like him, and he's one of those people who was really good to me. So you didn't think it was working with Robbo on SCN? No, I think we, we, we would have had a role for Robbo this year on the station. I probably could have handled it better at the time. He was going away the next day. He was dealing with the then general manager of the station, and we had really yet to take over, albeit we were, to your point, making the calls and influencing things in sort of... I think it was January of this year, maybe. And he wanted an answer before he left on whether he was doing Crunch Time, which is the show that he's had a great influence mm. on. It's interesting, though, that you, you weren't able to have face-to-face -face conversations with Swartz, Allen and Robinson. Yeah. Yet you, you were with Jared Waitley, yeah. the big fish you landed. Whose idea was it to go after him? And how did you convince him to leave uh, the government broadcaster? Well, first of all, he's... Everything I thought he would be and more as a broadcaster. We'd clearly lost a bit of contact over the years, but I had... You fell out with him, didn't you? Yeah, we had a, um, we had a good friendship early and we kind of hit a fork in the road with that over a story early days and then... When what, our own... what, over who should write it? No, we were competing at seven versus ten. Oh, OK. Head-to-head okay. head on the road and yeah, as things yeah. happen, you get a little bit robust and, and compete. And but I'd never lost respect for him and had been a listener and a watcher of 360 here at Fox. and So the opportunity, I thought, he was, would be perfect for what we're trying to achieve, which is broaden the church, mm -hmm. try and attract a different style and tone of listener while at the same time keep the listeners we've got you know, replenished and happy with the environment and to, and to do sport a little differently to what it had been done. He has always been ambitious and has breathtakingly great talent and... It was probably a bit of a pipe dream to see if you were available. When I learnt that there was an expiring contract, I thought we have to just have to make this happen. We have to find a way. What was the story that set you and Jared at odds? It was a misunderstanding over a story involving Lee Colbert quitting Geelong. He had fled the country that morning and he had gone to Melbourne Airport the day after I'd done the story on Live and Kicking that he was about to quit the Cats as captain. It was a very delicate time for the Cats. I had interviewed him at the airport that morning and then Jared arrived after I had interviewed him and I in essence pretended that I hadn't interviewed him for two or three hours to make sure that he got through the Sydney airport and on the way to LA so that he was <laughs> unobtainable 
And, yeah, we had a difference of view of the circumstances surrounding that and would have a laugh about it these days. What's your fascination with the States? You, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but yep. you tend to sort of leave Melbourne as soon as the footy season's over and, and uh, New York becomes your base. Yeah. Well, historically it did. It's a bit harder now. It's almost impossible. But, yeah, I've, I've loved New York and the States and LA and its influence on me. Um, I feel like that city picked me up at a time when I was broken and uncertain as to what the future held. And just the sense and vibe and purpose and great will and the way people help each other, it's just it's a wonderful place. Fact or fiction, you converted the kitchen into a studio because you <laughs> couldn't cook and you wouldn't yeah. cook. Fact. Fact. Yeah. yeah. So, got a, a, uh, well, for 10 years, had a small kitchen, which I never cooked from, and a radio studio that sat in the kitchen and... I think the worst thing that happened to me one day was about quarter past ten on a Saturday morning when I could smell gas in the house and <laughs> turned around and it accidentally lent on the stove and the place was about to go up in flames. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you were almost exclusively dressed in suits when we, when we see you in the yep. public. Um, do you have a, an outlet? I mean, do you let down occasionally? And what if you have a hobby, what is it? Travelling to the States mm -hmm. and... Uh, my partner, Claire, has got a young boy who plays footy on Sunday mornings and that's become a pretty favourite part of my week too. You live in a hotel, don't you? Yes. Seems unusual that you've got a house in the city yep. and you prefer to live in a hotel. Yeah, I think it's probably been... It's probably spoken to the amount of travel I've done in the last two, three, five years. We've got an office in every city now in Australia, in Adelaide, Sydney, Brisbane and Perth. Yep. And trying to be more trans in and around those offices and support those has been a focus and I haven't and don't spend much or any time at home so it doesn't make a lot of sense to have you know a home infrastructure when I don't really need one. Have you whacked up a spag bowl or anything? <laughs> no, well, there's a no. kitchen in the hotel Mike <laughs> but yeah it's probably it's been wonderful the Olsen Hotel. I spoke to your um, your father Ken yep this week. <laughs> that would have been a riveting conversation. No it was a good chat. Yeah. He uh the older we get, the more conservative we get. Yep. He says he wishes you were still at the Herald Sun. He's worried about your capacity yeah. to pay 160 people a week. Yeah. yeah, I remember that phone call at the time. So he got, it had been my life wish to work at the Herald Sun, as I told you earlier in the interview. And so then, sort of before the cadetship had finished, to call him and say, I was leaving to go and produce a breakfast radio show mm. on 927. With Kevin Bartlett and Dr yeah. Turf. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. And he said, oh, no. That doesn't sound like it's something you should do. I'm worried about that. And that's just a dad looking out for his boy, right? Yeah. He said he doesn't see much of you, but you're very generous. Yeah, I'd like to see more of him. And obviously being him being in Warrigal and me being in Melbourne, I should make more effort to see him. He's a beautiful man. He talked about you as the young sportsman. I, was my, I asked him about that. He said your skills were good. And I saw you one night in a, <laughs> the EJ Witten game. You can clearly handle the footy once it's in your hands. Um, he said you weren't all that quick. His yeah, description was you were slower than a wet hen. Yep. Slow and scared and yeah. lacking athleticism, I think, would be the things that spring yeah. to mind, Mike. The slowness part, we talked about it in the yep. cricket. You were pretty keen on cricket. Yep. He reckons you were fielding in the outfield one day in a game at Warrigal. Some bloke hit it and you had about a 40 <laughs> metre run for it. And you waddled off afterwards and a bloke leaned over the fence and said, Hutchie, they've run eight. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I think that might, there's some semblance of truth in that. Although I don't think they ran eight. And I was left with the nickname Pillar. That's back right. in Warrigal from yeah. there, which is, I move like a pillar. Yeah. Hutchie, I appreciate your honesty. You've made a big impression on the footy landscape and that's going to become bigger and bigger by the year.
uh, good luck in your the business ventures and great to see you. Michael, thanks for having me. Love the new glasses <laughs> and well researched. <laughs>